knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. And tonight, well, I guess before we get started, it is Colleen Sharp, and I still have Angela with me. Hello. Who's filling in for Ashley, and glad that she's with us. And we have a special guest tonight. We, for a while, we've had, since we talked about parenting a little bit here and there, we get a lot of questions, especially in the group, about parenting teens. And I know that some of you are thinking, but I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. This is not for me. But I'm going to actually tell you this is for you because we're even going to be talking about building that foundation before they get to the teenage years. So if you have children, maybe you're a grandma. If you have children, you have grandchildren or a grandpa or a father, this episode is for you. And we've got Alexandra with us today and Alexandra because I think so anyone on Twitter in reform Twitter probably knows you but why don't you just quickly share a little bit about yourself hi uh, I am so like humbled and thrilled to be here today and um, uh, my name's Alexandra I have six kids four of whom are in the teen and young adult years and then a preschooler and toddler. Um, I'm very blessed to have been walking with the Lord since I was a young child and seeing God's covenant faithfulness even before I understood reformed and covenantal theology. Um, so so with, my, with that understanding, um, it's just really changed how I've underst- understood the Lord and understood life and vocation and mothering and i'm really thrilled that you guys are talking about theology and about reform theology and y'all are just such an encouragement to me so i'm really really thrilled to be here well we're glad to have you and i'm glad you said vocation because that's one that's kind of been a theme that we've been talking about especially for moms that you know whether it's a working mom or a mom that stays at home with her children. She has the vocation of mom and that's part of, you know, what we'll be focusing on tonight and maybe even some things for fathers here, but let's just start really at the beginning. And this question is really for any parent out there. And I also, let me also say, if you are a parent of teenagers, I don't want you to think, Oh no, I didn't do some of these things because I really believe that wherever you are at in parenting, you can always be doing things to cultivate these strong relationships with your children. And I know for me, as my children became teenagers, I changed a lot of things. So, And isn't, isn't it true that the more mistakes we are making with our kids, the, the more opportunities we have to repent before the Lord and repent before our kids and God uses that to to grow us in our relationship with God and with our kids. So even even our screw ups um, build relationships with our kids. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's biblical. I mean, when we have trials, the Lord uses them in these amazing ways. And because none of us are perfect parents, as much as we try, I really did try, but none of us are perfect parents. But what what would you say? And I think especially now that you've got children that are in their early 20s, you can even look back and see this. And I'm sure since you've got young ones and older children, I'm sure your perspective has changed a lot, even with your younger children. But what do you think are some things that we can do as parents to begin to build a strong relationship with our children as we prepare for the teenage years? What I have, what I have seen and what I have experienced is that so much of, of the relationship just involves effort and the effort involves our, our energy and our time. And, um, and for me right now at the point with having the littles and the, the big kids, I found that I'm so distracted by the logistics of life and, and I really need to stop and, and focus on having that time with each of them and with them as a group. And, and that's an, that's very in sharp relief right now, but I look back at those early years too, when the kids are small and there's just so much going on and you're just trying to keep your head above water and yet stepping away from stepping away from the dishes, stepping away from the laundry and just spending time with our kids um, and recognizing that they're, they're each individuals that God has created um, and just getting to know who they are as individuals, who, who they are create to be. You know, I, I didn't put this in the questions, but I do want to ask you this because I was thinking as you were talking in, in regards to my own children. I, I have a couple children who will tell me everything I want to know and then some. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple that I've got to dig a little bit deeper. And so, you know, the couple that tell me everything I want to know, it's not a lot of effort to have those conversations, but did you, do you have children like that, that you had to spend a little bit more time talking to and asking questions? Oh, oh, definitely. And, and it's interesting because the ones who are like that now, um, as young men, the more quiet ones, they're the ones who are more quiet and private as as small kids it's it's so much of a is their own personality and who they are and it does take more time and patience to listen but you know the more we're listening to them as as younger children i think the more they trust that we'll listen to them as older children too but my i mean i look back and i see oh my parents knew this and my number one um conversation hack with kids is driving with them yeah (laughs) when you're not making eye contact it's amazing how much they will they'll open up and talk like um i picked one of my sons up from work this afternoon and he is my most closed mouth of of my four and he couldn't stop talking the whole way home and it was you know it was such a gift to me but um but i think a lot of it goes back to are we really listening or are we on our own heads are we are we really listening or are our eyes on our devices? And I'm guilty of that. And um, the more we listen, the more we give them, them opportunities, the, the more they do open up. Um, and of course, you know, all the, the communication techniques that you're taught is in relationships, asking open-ended questions, reflective listening, nodding, making eye contact, except not with teenagers, all those things are helpful. But I think most of all, what they need to know is that we really are interested. We really are listening and we do care. Yeah, that's really good. That really um, makes me think uh, a little bit about, um, you know, we're communicating value to our children when we're listening. Um, it, it's, uh, I think, a good lead-in into this next question. Um, we were wondering, this isn't really just for the teenage years, but throughout our children's lives, how do we balance helping our children understand their value as image bearers as opposed to the current sort of cultural obsession with self-esteem? Mm. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's more complicated now than it was even when we were kids. Um, mm-hmm. and, I know that, and, and I know that it was a big deal for me when I was growing up. Um, and I think this is one of those, those, like so much in parenting, it, it flows out of what the Lord is doing in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled with this as a mom through the years, is my identity in Christ or is my identity as a mom, a Christian mm-hmm. mom, Christian homeschooling, home birthing, you know, breastfeeding, you know, all those identifiers that are very easy to take on as, as, a, as a young mom, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even now, like, what is my identity? Is, am I finding my identity in Christ? And, um, and, and how, are our, how are our kids going to find their identity in Christ if that's not something that is, that is the norm and what they see in our lives? And in um, and the messages that they're hearing in church and seeing modeled by their um, brothers and sisters uh, in the church, but you know, and and also like the uh, the self esteem and understanding ourselves so much, so much is related to us finding our identity in the Lord, but but also that's that's part of normal, typical child development um i mean we all went through it as teens where do i fit in where do i belong um and you know we 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 affirm that when they're little Mm -hmm. we watch we i watch my six-year-old dress up in in his army guy clothes and pretend to be an army guy or uh you know in a fireman hat or all those things And, and we we encourage that kind of role playing with little kids. And then I feel like we kind of like get stressed about when our teenagers are trying on or, you know, Hmm. are they going to be a punk or, you know, into music or sports or whatever. And I, I feel like it's, it's kind of like with the little kids, they're, they're trying to figure out where they, where they fit in within society as well as getting there their affirmation and their identity in Christ, but, but both are involved, you know, their, their, their place in our family, their place in society, you know, but ultimately who they are in Christ. You know, from the time the kids are little, and that this again is another question that really is not just for teens, but, but for all ages, but specifically, I, I'd like to know this in relation to teens, it's it's easy to sometimes go too far the other way and being really hard on our children and having expectations and maybe showing more grace. And it's sometimes I know even for myself to to tend to more in, to one extreme or the other in this. But what are ways that we can balance that in in having expectations of them? And of course, our children are sinners, just like we are. And then also um, showing them grace. Yeah, I, I, I really loved your um, the podcast a few months ago when you were speaking about parenting with the law and the gospel, mm. and those those themes. Um, they do provide such a guide for us. I mean, they're foundational to to the way we think and the way we we approach life, but also they do provide a guide for us sorting through the practical things in our, in our lives. And, and don't you, okay. To give two, two common examples. Um, if, if you're from my generation, when we were growing up, there was a lot of teaching with the pearls and the Gothards and they were making rules around rules around rules. Yep. <laughs> and doing so they, they were minimizing the law of God in many ways because they were making rules that kids could meet. They're basically mm. lowering expectations so that kids can meet those expectations and then feel secure in their performance. Mm. And then we see the very same thing in a more liberal view of, of the law. Like, Oh, it's just, you know, let's lower expectations for the kids and, and, you know, well, teens are going to do it anyway. And, 
and both are the same mistake theologically, even though they're they're played out differently, perhaps in families, mm-hmm. because we cannot meet the standard of God's holiness. You know, God's mm-hmm. ultimate holiness. We just can't do it. And so why are we communicating to our kids that they can do it either by obeying the rules around the rules around the rules or in lowering the rules so that they can meet it? But both of them, it's, it's the same the same answer. Jesus did it for us. I mean, it's his imputed righteousness. His, his holiness is our holiness, and we trust him. It, it's not finding our security in what we do or communicating to our kids that they can measure up or that will lower the standards so they can measure up. Um, but yeah, I mean, how does this, you know, how do we communicate this to them? Um, I, I, for me, it's just keep coming back to the gospel for myself. I need to keep repenting, keep depending on God. And, and that flows out from what the Lord's doing in my life to how I'm communicating that to my children. And, and it changes my heart towards them and helping them. Um, we just, I mean, in our family, we just keep having to talk about it again and again, because that's what I need to hear. That's what they need to hear. Right. Amen. That's, um, it's really fascinating to me that you connected, um, you know, what we do um, with our littles and then the same error kind of plays out as teenagers. And I'm thinking as you're talking about this, it's crazy. The same error plays out. Um, we come across it as adults, don't we? I mean, it's that same thing. Lower, lower the law standard so that I can fool myself into thinking I'm meeting it and get secure in that law keeping. Or throw the law out because, hey, I can't do it. It's, it's, we come across that all the time in our circles, I think. So, yeah, like either legalism or antinomianism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think that those things that we play, that we can play those things out even in our parenting. And I mm-hmm. love what you said about, you know, what the Gothard and Pearls, I, I love what you said about that. Because I, I think I think that's true. But, and, but I also, one thing, it's easy, especially when you've got a lot of littles, you're, you're wanting to, them to obey is often, you know, to make your life easier. If they're good, then it makes my life easier. And, and one thing I often thought about is, is the purposes of the law. And, and those mm. purposes of the law are also the purposes for my children that they they can know of their sinfulness and, and mm-hmm. it will drive them to Christ and show them how to live. And just remembering that it was true for my, just like it's true for my, for me, that it's also true mm-hmm. for my children. Yes. Um, yes. Oh man, Colleen, you're getting me right now with, <laughs> uh, boy, I am definitely guilty of wanting my, uh, I have two uh, young children, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I'm definitely guilty of, wanting them to obey because it certainly makes my life and job easier. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, and we parents, um, with younger kids, we hear all the time, you know, Oh, just wait until they're teenagers. So there's this idea that, you know, enjoy the little years. Um, but then because what's coming is the teenage years and there's a negative perception that parenting teens is going to be terrible. Is there a way um, that, uh, do you have advice actually for parents of teens, how to look past that sort of attitude and actually enjoy the teen years and enjoy their teenagers? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my husband has been so awesome with that. I have heard him say again and again, Oh, I haven't found a bad age yet. Or this is my favorite stage, like regardless of what stage they're in. And it doesn't mean things aren't hard or that we haven't gone through some pretty hard stages. 15-year-old boys, I'd skip it. (laughs) (laughs) But we can choose to enjoy them. And I think part of that is our attitude. We can choose to enjoy them. But the foundation has to be... um, you know, who, who are they? Do we understand that who God has created them to be? Like, they're not just who we think they ought to be, but 
Can we Mm -hmm. really see who God has created them to be? And can we recognize that they are our brothers in Christ? Um, Mm -hmm. And and that really, I think, helps us um, really value them. Um, They're they're little, you know, they're people. They're they're interesting people. They're being (laughs) more interesting. Um, But at the same time. You know, we don't want to assume that there aren't going to be any any struggles. It's a hard time growing growing through those years. It, I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but man, those years were hard for me. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and I for me, it just like <laughs> it keeps going back to yes, we are dependent upon the Lord. You know, I can't do it, but I can I can trust God. Um, and I think as as when the kids are little, it's a little bit easier to feel like um, I have things together and I'm a little more in control. And as they become older and more independent, I just have to trust God more and more. Yeah, I was actually just thinking that yesterday because one of my, you know, I'm sure you've been through this just like I have, but when they, you know, you, you feed them your ideas, you know, <laughs> through all of life. And then all of a sudden they come and tell you that they think you're wrong on something. <laughs> and you're, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, where did I go wrong? I told you. <laughs> that, I mean, this, this was a political thing. I mean, just a political idea. And he just came and really pushed back on me. And they, there, it is, it is hard. Like you said, it, because they are now thinking about things themselves and coming up with even some of their own ideas. But I did want to say just um, that I have, I have so enjoyed the teenage years, not that there isn't hard times, there's days I want to pull out my hair and, and whatnot, but I have just enjoyed them, enjoyed my children. I, and I think I like that you, you talked about that because I think it's, so important I they and I think children's sense if you see them as just a bother and in those difficult teenage years or if you act like you really enjoy having them around and listening to what they have to say yes yes and 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 it is I mean it's not easy for them and it's not easy for us but there's also quite a bit of fun when you're figuring things out and, and growing and exploring new ideas and, and that curiosity and creativity and, and when the future seems very open and boundless and it, it's fun to come along for the ride most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So it, I always know with, with each of my children, when they get to to a certain place and it's usually between 14 and 15 and of course mine are all boys and it's my my one says son calls it the period of teenage angst of course he told me <laughs> my period of teenage angst was very short he, he proclaimed that which um yeah his his That's was not how you remember it <laughs> well no his actually was he was actually the easiest but um yeah. so there there is a there is a lot of emotions, even with boys, you know, they can go through emotions. They can have views that are based on being emotional. So how, how do we deal with um, even just taking them serious when they're, when, when they're dealing with some of that emotional stuff and you know that the things that they're saying are not reasonable. So you know, we kind of have to take, how do we take them serious and listen to them on one end, but also, um, you know, kind of say, hey, you know, this kind of give them a reality check, I guess. It's really hard. And for everyone out there, um, Colleen has boys, I have boys. So a lot of this is coming from that perspective. I have no experience with teenage girls, except for having been one. Uh, and when it comes to when it comes to hormones, though, I think for girls it eventually becomes easy. Hormonal cycles are pretty predictable, and for for boys, it seems to be like they don't know when it's going to hit them when they're going to like those hormonal emotional 
you know, crazy meltdowns. They don't know when it's going to happen. Um, and at least for me, by late teenage years, early 20s, I, I knew what to expect, when to expect it. Um, but but again, we, we can see um, in God's design that the growth from infant to toddler to child to adolescent to adult, it's it includes a change in biology. It includes a change in emotions, hormones, maturity, experience. And um, I think it's really, really helpful to find some basic um, child development, adolescent development um, resources and books to, to understand and kind of ex- know what to expect, to know that ooh, their prefrontal cortex is not completely developed yet. And that's why they're being completely irrational. Because when we understand what the typical development is and know that, oh, this is part of God's design, it's a lot easier to be patient on my end with the crazy on their end. Um, and understanding that it does, does breed, breed, breed patience, but um, yeah, I've got to, I've got to go back to treating them with respect as, as people um, bearing the image of God, even when they're irrational. Um, when they, when they understand that we respect them, when they can feel the respect from us, I think that really um, provides um, like some ballast. I think it helps keep them a little more more settled when they know that we um, that we respect them and um, and when I when I imagine that okay, I have this mental image that helps me sometimes that on Christ's solid rock I stand, all of their ground is shifting sand, and so I'm standing on the rock. Um, of Jesus, and there's this huge storm of my my teenagers' emotions and struggles, and and it's all it's all you know the storm is raging all around me, and I'm standing on Christ, and I can be I can be firm, I can be solid, and and weather it without being caught up in the storm and and get caught up in their emotions and add my own emotions and my own irrationality and it just escalating into whatever. Um, because, oh, it's really hard not to get caught up in, in their emotions with my own emotions. But, but what they need from us is, is us being, being secure for them, being, being solid for them. Yeah, that that is a really great analogy. I, I really like what you said there. I I do want to say that my oldest, who probably was our most difficult, did at some point he you know moved to his own apartment. And Stephanie called me one day and said, "I'm so sorry for all of the stuff I put you through." And you know he was our emotional one. He was the one that we were sometimes up late into the night. And, you know, and so uh, I always remind myself, they do grow up, but I love what you said, because it's so easy when they are in that emotional turmoil to throw your own emotions and reactions into that. So I really love what you said there. And I have found a lot of times my emotions come from, you know, my own ego gets in the way, my own pride gets in the way. And like, sometimes I just need to let it go. Like, I don't yes. have to prove that I'm right in this moment. If I just mm. keep my mouth shut for a moment and let them express their thoughts, express their feelings and not get caught up in it, then they know I'm listening. They know I'm with them through it. And in a few minutes, they'll forget that they think they're right and they think I'm wrong. You know, honestly, you know, just let it go. So going right along with that, um, how how should we handle things like our teenagers' mood swings? Do you have any strategies for encouraging self-control in them? You know, I I wish I had a great life hack that encourages <laughs> you know, um, But really, self-control is part of the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, part of sanctification. And yes, it's it's also 
a skill that can be learned. Um, but um, but so much of so much of it is done by by the Lord. Uh, and I was just um, I was actually talking with my six year old the other day about self control and about it being like a muscle that he can build because he watches his teenagers lift his teenage brothers lift weights and and so that image really helped him that the more he he practices self-control the stronger that self-control muscle is and that that's really important because he was name calling with another little boy um and i I think that's one of the things that we have to help them with foundationally in the younger years Mm -hmm. um so that they have some preparation for when the hormones and the uh, this mood swings and everything come along, that they're prepared for it, and we keep praying for them because 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 it is part of sanctification and it is hard. Yeah, have you found things that work well for you, Colleen? <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure that one out. Um, you know, I I think that part of it, I think, is that each kid is different, so. I think that you can find something like, you know, our first one was, had a very specific personality. Our second one is as different from our first one as could be. And so it, it, you know, I think that you really do. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to know your child and to have great communication. Cause I think a lot of it is in talking it through. I think with each of our, each of our children and even even in the midst of it when they're going through something um my first one he wants to talk and talk and talk about it and mm-hmm. my second one wants to separate himself and go slam his door and, and be in, alone in his room and so i think i think really that with each child you you and even with little kids you know how it goes when they go through a phase they're they're throwing temper tantrums or whatever the thing may be you you try different things and of course lots of prayer and to see what kind of works and even talking with them i mean with us i would sometimes wait until they weren't in that phase where they were having a lack of self control and talk to them about you know what would help you are there things are there some things that we can try that would be helpful for you so i think a lot of it is communication really i think you're right it comes down to communication and the relationship that we have with them and and some of the things that work really well with little kids aren't quite as good for older kids like right most of my kids when they were having those meltdowns and lack of self-control when they're little, if we would just, I would just hold them and hug them and they didn't know, but I was praying, praying, praying for wisdom in the moment, you know, that really helped them to calm down and regain control and then grow from there. Um, none of my teenagers like when I, when they're having a meltdown. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe later we'll hug it out, but, but in the moment, no. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, that's, that's definitely true. And I think it changes too. I mean, what, how a four-year-old is going to be is going to be different than a 10-year-old and then a a 15-year-old and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even just their personalities and the things that they do struggle with. But we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'd like, I'd like to really talk about this in more in depth. And that is communication with our children and especially our teenagers because I think even even with children that maybe share more they might be not share as much during the teenage years and then we have some that just don't naturally share everything so what are some ways that we can encourage communication with our with our teenagers especially um, I for for us um while not all of my kids will open up with me about the really emotional things in the moment, in general, our family has a culture of communication. And I think that is something that does build from when they're younger, um, but can also really be started in the, the middle years and the teenage years of, you know, we have a lot of 
discussions around the dinner table. Um, my husband is really great at, at this um, because he's always reading and, and he brings up what he's reading about, talks about politics. We talk about the sermon on the way home and there's just a lot of, a lot of discussions about a lot of things. So it's not all, it's not all the personal deep, heavy things. Um, it, but there's a, a family culture of communicating what we're thinking about and what we, we're reading about. Um, and so I think that's a really good foundation for it. But in the, in the early teen years, middle teen years, especially one of the best ways I've seen to get my kids to open up is, is to bring up something controversial because you know, <laughs> kids they are opinionated and it's, you know, let them express it, you know, it's, and it can be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be anything deep. Just, just go ahead and, and, and let them be controversial. Let them, let them express some of those opinions and, and be interested and reflect what they're saying. And, and that really gets them into the habit of, of talking about those, those things that may lead to too deep, hard issues as well. Um, or just be free with talking. Uh, but, but on our side, we really need to show that we're truly interested in what they're saying. We need to respect that they're thinking about things. We need to, um, you know, as they're sharing whatever is controversial or opinionated, you know, really, really show interest in it. Um, and, you know, Proverbs talks about being quick to listen and slow to talk. And, and sometimes I do think we need to do the talking to open the conversation, but um, being quick to listen, that's really important so that they know that we value what they're saying so that they, they don't just shut it all up. And, and I would even add sometimes when, if you're talking about something like I was talking with my son about a political issue and he expressed something different than I think it's very easy to push back and just say, you're wrong. I'm right. You know, instead of listening to what they have to say. Yeah, and because a lot of it is they are, it, some of us are verbal processors. We talk through things and say a lot of things before we realize what we really do think and believe. Maybe they're like that, or maybe they really are embracing a um, uh, an idea that we don't like for whatever reason. Um, oh, uh, the theology gals out there... Um, much respect to my Reformed Baptist sisters, but um, my my oldest son, who who is strongly Presbyterian at this point, really considered converting to be a Reformed Baptist, um, which is not my my understanding. Um, but it was really interesting to see him think through that and to to consider that and to argue with me and not really argue, but explain his, his thoughts and, mm -hmm. and see my discomfort with, with some of it. Um, and, you know, that is a small thing in the big scheme of things, um, you know, uh, but it was, but it was really interesting. I think it's really, really good to, to be uncomfortable with what they're thinking sometimes and see that that is okay, that, that they can bring up those things because there will be a lot of things in life that are hard for them. And, and, and are we listening are we respecting them even when we disagree if so then then they'll they'll bring that up again they'll bring up their hard things do you feel like giving him the space to work through um that conversation and think through and and sort of discuss that with you um and discuss the arguments on that theology did that help him come out stronger in his conviction towards the end for him on this particular issue, um, I think so. I, I also know that the actual meat of that particular issue was was hashed out with some pastors and elders and friends mm -hmm. more than with me, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which I think is great. I, our our um, our children and our teens and our young adults they need other people within the covenant community who mm -hmm. love them and listen to them and respect them and nurture them. That is, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so important about being um, in a good church and, you know, a good school um, when that's, you know, when that is, um, 
when they do have those adults in a good school, um, nurturing them. Um, so, so on the, yes, working all those things out did make him more firm in what he believed in mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's still, he's still hashing out a lot of things that he believes just like yeah. I'm constantly learning and growing. And, and I think as finite beings who worship an infinite God, we all always are um, when it comes to matters of faith. So we're talking right now about um, uncomfortable conversations. Let's talk about navigating um, various freedoms um, with teens, things that also might make us uncomfortable, like makeup, different styles of clothes, dyeing their hair. How do we navigate those things um, and coaching our kids through that, but still keeping some standards? Mm. You know, I think um, like something you said earlier that we keep coming back to is that our our kids are different and um, each family is different. And so what that looks like, hashing those things out will be different in each family. But, but for me, um, one of the first things that I have seen in my life is that for some of these uncomfortable things, these freedoms and standards, my first thing is, is a heart check. Um, mm-hmm. Are the standards we have as a family, are they because they're good for my child or because of my own pride and how I want my family to appear? Um, and that's, that's hard because sometimes it's one and sometimes it's, it's the other. Um, and, and in my, something that I am seeing, even with my kids in their 20s, one of the things I struggle with is that I, I continue to micromanage so much. And part of that is because I'm still managing a large family and we have a lot of logistics all the time. But the failure in that, especially with my older adult, I mean, my older teen and a young adult is that what I'm communicating when I'm micromanaging, like I, I asked my, um, my son, did you pack your lunch for work the other night? And, and later I realized I was communicating him that to him that like, he feels like I don't trust him. I don't think he's competent um, or that I'm reminding him of the less mature parts of himself, which it's not, unco- which is not comfortable for him, and so with these, these standards and freedoms, um, like, am I trying to micromanage these things because I don't trust them, don't think they're competent because I think they're too immature, or I think it's really hard because they're going from being children where we are enforcing family stance- standards because they are not ready for the freedom. And then letting go of those things. Like, well, do you see yourself? Do Do you think of it sort of like moving more into a coaching role? You know, that is a really good, good way to think of it because we all like a basketball team. I have five boys. We're all on the same team, and my husband and I are moving to the role of coaches rather than um, making them do things. Um, and, um, but as we're talking about this, I'm also thinking about my, my girlfriend who has a 13 year old daughter whose, whose opinions on clothes are, are far outside of their family standards. And, and that is a hard thing to, to help coach your, your 13 year old through, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, it comes down to, as a family, figuring out freedoms, responsibilities, do we trust you? You know, how can I demonstrate as a teen? How do I demonstrate that I'm trustworthy? I show my, that I am responsible. Um, and it takes practice on their part and our part. Yeah, one thing, um, I, and I think with boys, we might not deal as much with some of the clothing things and obviously not makeup. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, one thing we really did was kind of, um, if they had had been responsible and where we'd give them more freedom as they prove that they were responsible and were making good choices. That's one way that we kind of navigated that. And so there isn't always like certain age where you hand over certain freedoms, but more has more to do with maturity and, and being trustworthy and wise. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that, that it is easier for parents sometimes for me, definitely to, um, to say, yes, you could have more freedoms when you show that you're trustworthy freedoms and responsibilities are, are balanced, but not give them the opportunity to show that they are trustworthy, not give them the opportunity to show that they are responsible um, by keeping, by keeping boundaries artificially tight. We don't, we don't give them the, we don't take off the training wheels, figure it out for themselves. Um, Right. It it, it takes practice on our part and, and their part to assume that they're, they're capable about good decisions. Yeah, I I agree. So especially during the teenage years where they're really trying to figure out what they believe themselves and what they think, how do we encourage them spiritually? And let let me just say, I I do want you to answer this as a Presbyterian, even though I know we have Reformed Baptist um, listeners too. And I think that it can go from there, but we really do believe that our children are part of the covenant community. So obviously there's some of this through throughout their entire lives. Yes, yes. And um and re- and one of the strongest things for me, one of one of the things that really changed my heart towards my children the most was um was when I I truly I come. I come from a broadly evangelical background, and um, became reformed, and slowly understood reformed theology, uh, reformed and covenantal viewpoint through the years. And my um, my older children were baptized as toddlers, so you know, not infant baptism, but but really, when I saw that, when um, there was a profound shift for me, when I realized that. My little kids, they are my brothers in Christ. They're not just my kids. The Lord is working in their little hearts, yes, through me, but the Lord is also working in their little hearts completely apart from me. Hmm. And our um, our Baptist brothers and sisters and our broadly evangelical brothers and sisters really often do view their children the very same way that the Lord is working in their hearts as well. Um, both through us and apart from us, but but really see my children as my brothers in Christ. Wow, that really changed things for me because you know, there are so many one another's in, in the New Testament. Bear with one another's burdens, um, you know, submit to one another in love, um, serve one another. The one another's uh, are all about commands to us about how we are to treat. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those are those are instructions to me as a parent in how I treat my 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 children, and and this is a long way around to talk about how we we encourage our our teenagers spiritually, but it starts when they're little and how we view them and how we nurture them, um, and those early years. There's so much we that it's easier to do. And laying a foundation those early years, uh, corporate worship, going to church together as a family every Sunday, uh, family worship at home, which, you know, we were never as consistent with as we wished we were. Um, catechizing them, as you talked about in, in the past, singing hymns together, reading the Bible together. There's all of those things really do lay a strong foundation in the early years that, that we build upon later and in the little years, but, but more so in the middle years and the high school years, 
I think um, one of the things that's so powerful is being transparent with our with our children. I mean, even our little kids see how we sin, how we sin broadly throughout our life, and also how we sin against them. They they see that. Now, are they also seeing how we were repenting, how we're repenting to them when we sin against them, how we're repenting before the Lord, our dependence upon the Lord, our our need for Jesus every day? Um, I think that is one of the most powerful ways that we do encourage them spiritually um, because they see that our, that our faith is real and that we believe that what what they what we are teaching them what we are expecting from them is is the very foundation of our lives um and and it you know and i don't want anyone who is who is who is either coming to the lord later in their life or um you know didn't didn't focus on laying a spiritual foundation in the earlier so i don't want to be discouraging because you know it is easier to do in the in the early years but in in the later years too it's we can start now we can we can do it now and it's so good for them and so good for us i mean i want to encourage them spiritually but but this is this is how the lord encourages me spiritually one thing i've said on the podcast a gazillion times but i'll say it again in case someone's tuning in just for this episode but i think it's very easy to trust ourselves for their salvation Mm -hmm. If I do everything right, somewhere inside of myself, I believed this when I had young kids. If I do everything right, my children are going to grow up and never rebel and and walk with the Lord and and so on. And, you know, I I really came. I don't know that there is a a Christian mom who hasn't (laughs) feeling, if not explicitly, at least, you know, informing. I mean, oh, Yes, that's that's why I said it's not just, you know, when I saw it's not just the Lord using me in their little lives, which I completely controlled when they were toddlers, you know, but God is working in their hearts apart from me. I mean, I totally thought that. If I yeah. Did right. They would turn out right, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it was very eye-opening. Well, I I'm open about it. I have a child who's left the faith as an atheist. but. It really, it really was, since it's my oldest, you know, even convicting to me for my other children that, that I really did need to trust the Lord with my children, that yes, we need to do all of these things and train them up in the Lord, but that I needed to trust the Lord's work in their lives because I could do everything perfect and they could still, which obviously is impossible because I'm a sinner and they could still grow up and rebel without the work of the Lord. Yes, yes, and that is that is so hard, and um, and that's, and I think it, it, I think one of the things is is that attacks our pride, it attacks our ego, um, because we do. There is still part of us that thinks we can do it all right and and not trust God, but ultimately, you know, salvation is of the Lord, and and within a covenantal viewpoint. I'm reminded by um, uh, Dal Stanton, who is a missionary and a mentor of, of mine, how he talked about uh, his one of his grandson's faith, that, that God's got his son in the grip of grace stronger than any grip that we could have. And, and trusting that God is doing the work and not us, even when we are not seeing it, even when you know, they're rejected, rejected the faith of our family, rejected, rejected the Lord. That's really hard to, it's very humbling for us and really hard to trust the Lord. So let me ask this question then to both of you. Do you have advice for um, parents who have a teen who's questioning the faith or even walked away and stopped believing? Um, How, do you do you have advice for how to um, interact with that child and how to how do you handle that and respond to that? Well, I have I have more thoughts about um, about questioning their faith than mm-hmm. 
they've expressed that they've stopped believing it. Um, at this point, what I see in my kids um, and those around me that questioning can be a sign that the Holy Spirit is really working in their hearts and that they are integrating the faith that they have grown up with into their own faith. And this is, this is something that we see in, you know, you can, you, we can look um, outside of the Bible to psychology that describes um, adolescent and young adult development and brain development. There's, there's a part of them that the brain is maturing and they're making more complex connections and they're not just simply taking information in, but they're really integrating it. Um, and we can see that the Lord is doing that in the, their hearts as well. They're, they're making their faith their own. Um, and with the questioning of, of it, and it's really common for um, teens and young adults to, um, you know, explore various philosophies, try to understand other religions. And uh, like we talked about earlier with, with our, with our, Preschoolers, we don't worry about them trying on, um, you know, police outfit or a cowboy hat. Um, it it's similar in, in teen development. It's it's common to try on different idea uh, identities, try out different ideas, the different philosophies, and and during this questioning stage, I do believe that it is important that we communicate either verbally or non-verbally that we believe that. Our faith is strong and can withstand the questioning, and we can keep pointing to Christ. Um, and if I do believe that we, we worship the infinite God of the universe, um, He's strong enough to handle the questioning of, of our minds. Um, and but I um, I also believe it's it's important to you know I don't have all the answers. My, uh, my, I'm not a dumb person, but my teenage boys, they, they understand philosophy in a way that I don't. And, um, you know, I encourage them to look to the Christian mentors in their lives, pastors, elders, teachers, extended family, and, um, and yeah, talk about it and question it. But ultimately our foundation is in the Lord. Is is there anything else that we haven't um, hit on that you think that you'd like to communicate to to moms of teenagers? Yeah, you know, um, you know, right now, I think about something that my mom said to me when I was a teenager that I didn't understand then, and only as a, as a mom now with teenagers am I starting to understand, but. He's, the most important work of parenting is done on our knees. And um, yeah, there's so much that we, we just have to give to the Lord and pray, pray, pray. And, and, and the Lord is, the Lord is doing so much. And in that, um, and I want them to just know that they're loved and, and just keep coming back to the relationship, the foundation the found, you know, the foundational relationship that, that, that we have with them. I, I think that's so important. And, you know, I, I'm always convicted of needing to pray for my children mm -hmm. because that that's for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. The time you find out you're pregnant until your death that you should, I think of my grandparents who together every morning and we visited them, we we're part of this, they would have breakfast and, then have a, a time of reading scripture and they would pray for each one of their children and sons-in-law and grandchildren and great-grandchildren by name. And it was a great encouragement to me that they did that. <laughs> what a beautiful example. What a beautiful testimony. Um, and I think in t the teen years is when I'm really starting to get, you know, value prayer because it's when I feel like I can do I have less control I can't do as much and I'm realized that even though I've been dependent upon the Lord from the time they were little now it feels like it's all I can do and um mm. and one of my 
favorite parenting books out there is um, Paul Miller's A Praying Life, which is not about parenting at all, but all about prayer. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. One thing I've done in my prayer journal is written out prayers for my children that uh, that I pray for them, hmm. which has been helpful for me. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Alexandra. I think this mm-hmm. was was so helpful. I'm I'm going to put the book that you mentioned. If you have any other resources you think would be helpful, um, send them to me, and and I will link them with this episode. I just mm-hmm. um, just want to add. I want parents of teenagers to be encouraged. I I hear from parents of teenagers. Some are going through really difficult times. And I, I know what that's like. I, I know. And I, I don't know, maybe it was a blessing. The Lord gave us our most difficult one first, but just enjoy your children. Even, even when it's difficult, you know, even when my son who was sometimes gave us some difficult times, even, even during those times, I still had times where I enjoyed him. And so you can still have those those times where you do. And I think it's so important just to continue to communicate and have that communication with them, even if they're making other decisions. Oh, yes. Just the communication and the love and just keep building that relationship. And, and yeah, it really enjoy them because they're such neat people. They really are, even when they're hard. Yeah. And even when they have different opinions than us. <laughs> I, I, that, now I'm just reminding myself of that as I say that. Well, um, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll um, put anything we talked about and anything else Alexandra um, recommends in the episode notes. And we will see you next week. <laughs>